0: making people's lives better.
1: Good afternoon. This is the Zoomer Week in Review. Libby Nymer is off this week. I'm Jane Brown. Older Canadians remember the Japanese internment camps of World War II, but there were also internment camps during the First World War. Some 8,500 immigrants were displaced from their homes and put in internment camps across Canada. Now, 100 years later, those people are being honored with a series of plaques across the country. We'll learn more from Canadian historian Marcia Skripek, who has a very personal connection to this dark chapter of our history. Plus, this week, premiers from across Canada meet in Charlottetown to discuss the idea of a national senior strategy. CARP, a new vision of aging, is calling on the provinces to increase the role of pharmacists in our health care system to help prevent a growing amount of hospital visits due to adverse drug reactions. CARP's VP of Advocacy, Susan Eng, will tell us more. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. One of the most admired operatic sopranos of the mid-20th century has died well into her second century. Licia Albanese made her debut in Europe in the 1930s, but she became a regular at the Metropolitan Opera, singing in more than 400 productions from 1940 to 1966. In 1985, at the age of 76, she appeared as an aging diva in a highly praised recorded concert of Stephen Sondheim's Follies with Barbara Cook, Elaine Stritch, Mandy Patinkin, and Carol Burnett. Licia Albanese was 105. Want to boost your brain power as you age? Researchers say practicing Hatha yoga three times a week dramatically improves cognitive function in Zoomers. Scientists studied over 100 people aged 55 plus. They found after just eight weeks of doing Hatha yoga, the people in the study performed better on tasks, including information recall, mental flexibility, and task switching. The team reported the findings in the journals, of gerontology. Canada's doctors say they're grappling with the challenges of meeting the needs of patients at end of life, but they're also unanimously in support for better access to palliative care. The quality of end of life care was the focus of a conversation at the annual meeting of the Canadian Medical Association in Ottawa. In June, the CMA said Canada needs to create a national palliative care strategy to give all Canadians facing the end of life the best death possible. The authors also strongly encourage people to talk to loved ones about their wishes regarding death, including a written advance care directive. The CMA is participating in CARP's upcoming forum on medical assistance in dying on September 26 at the Zoomerplex in Toronto's Liberty Village. For 73 years, he's been going to work at the same job, and now at the age of 101, says he won't quit. High Goldman still shows up 4 days a week at Light Fixtures Company Capital Lighting in East Hanover, New Jersey. Aside from a brief absence to serve in the US Army in World War II, Goldman has worked at Capital Lighting since 1941. He was first hired to sell items and stock and clean the displays. He now specializes in rebuilding items that were damaged or unusable. He and his co-workers celebrated his birthday last week after he drove himself to work. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Ask most Canadian Zoomers about internment operations and the likely talk about the World War II Japanese internment camps. But this was also going on during the First World War when close to 8,500 immigrants, many of Ukrainian origin, were interned against their will in 24 camps across Canada. This past Friday, this dark chapter of Canada's past was commemorated with the unveiling of 100 plaques in a wave of remembrance from coast to coast. Canadian historian Marcia Skripik is an internee descendant herself. Her grandfather was interned in Jasper, Alberta after arriving from Ukraine to begin a new life. Marcia joins me now. Marsha, these 8,500 individuals were declared as enemies in Canada just as the First World War was beginning. Tell us more about the history of that time.
2: Well, when World War I broke out, A hundred years ago, people who had come to Canada, fled to Canada uh, because of persecution in their home countries, uh, suddenly became the enemies of Canada. And so the majority of them were Ukrainian, and they were thrown into internment camps. There were also people from the Ottoman Empire who um, had also fled that empire, and they were thrown into internment camps as well. What was the fear back then by the Canadian government? Foreigner fear. It wasn't really the Canadian government so much as um, there's hysteria on the streets. Uh, I mean, you know, there's uh, racial intolerance on a massive scale, and so... Uh, Immigrants were actually being beaten up on the streets. Uh, They were being fired from their jobs for patriotic reasons. So people were on the streets starving and then regular Canadians would look at them and say they're foreigners, they're dirty foreigners and they don't belong here. And so the government uh, ended up trying to resolve the situation by putting these people in internment camps. And initially, it was supposed to be a compassionate uh, measure. But when these people were sent to the camps, the people who received them didn't know that that was – like they didn't get the memo. Mm -hmm. So these people were treated quite brutally. Uh, some died at the internment camps, not many, but it wasn't a great situation for the eighty five hundred, uh, mostly men, mostly Ukrainian who were interned.
1: Did they take the men away from their families
2: then? And, and and what was the the thought process? In in one situation in Spirit Lake, Quebec, they they took an entire church community, uh, Saint Michael's uh, Ukrainian Catholic Church from Montreal. All of them were interned. Most of the other uh, internment camps, it was. Men and they were mostly uh, single and they were mostly strong and they were set to do labor. And what they did in a lot of cases was uh, clear uh, trees. And where all of our national parks are across the country, those were cleared by internee labor in World War I. The sad irony, too, is that the trees that they were set to clear out oftentimes were the hunting grounds of First Nations people.
1: How long were these 8,500 people interned? Some not
2: very long. Some escaped. My grandfather escaped, for example. Um, but they had the internment camps in operation from 1914. The last one closed in 1920. The war ended in 1918. Tell us your your family story. My grandfather came to Canada in 1912 as a single man. Uh, he had his own homestead. He, uh, you know, was clearing the land, doing everything he was supposed to. When there was a war, uh, he checked in like he was supposed to, everything. But one day he was just arrested, and we suspect because he was uh, strong, healthy, single. And so they just arrested him and put him at Jasper internment camp. He was uh, uh, there for uh, a number of months, and he escaped and he went into hiding. Uh, So when the war ended and he went back to his farm, it had been given away. And Mm -hmm. so he had to start um, at square one. It was a shame that Uh, hung over him for the rest of his life And so his kids, he had five kids. None of them really adopted a Ukrainian uh, culture at all to the point that I don't speak Ukrainian. My father didn't want his kids to speak Ukrainian because he didn't want them to be treated like he had been treated in school, which was to be beaten up every day for being Ukrainian.
1: Now, in the 100 Plaques Across Canada project, the plaques have just been unveiled in 100 communities across Canada. How did this come about, this effort?
2: Well, it was um, uh, initiated it spearheaded by the Ukrainian Canadian Civil Liberties Foundation, of which I am a member. Uh, And it was uh, Lubomir Luchuk, professor um, at uh, RMC in Kingston, was uh, the main, uh, it was his inspiration. And so all of the plaques were uh, unveiled at exactly 11 o'clock, right across the country, starting at Amherst in Nova Scotia and ending in British Columbia. We did them locally too, I'm from Brantford, Ontario. And uh, ours was unusual because people in turn from Brantford were not Ukrainian. They were actually from the Ottoman Empire, fleeing that oppressive regime. And that's actually, you know, the topic of my brand new book, Dance of the Banished. Describe for us uh, what the plaques look like, what they say. They're oval and uh, they just, they're in French and English. There's no Ukrainian on it. They're not specific to any ethnic group except Canadian uh, and they just say, remembering 100 years ago, uh, Canada's first national internment operation. Have we learned from this experience? We have, because Canada acknowledged that this happened, and they uh, set aside a, an educational fund. There are many countries in the world who have committed atrocities and have not admitted that they've happened. So kudos
1: to Canada for that. And kudos to you for writing about it. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you. Marsha Skripik is a Canadian historian and award-winning author. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. About 5% of visits to emergency rooms are a result of people either taking their medicine incorrectly or having an adverse reaction to the medicine they've been prescribed. It's with this in mind that CARP is calling on the provinces to allow pharmacists to take on a greater role in our health care system. In just a moment, CARP's VP of Advocacy, Susan Eng, will join us to explain more.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: Canada's premiers will be discussing the idea of a national senior strategy when they meet this coming week in Charlottetown, PEI. As part of this, CARP, a new vision of aging, wants to see pharmacists take a greater role in outcomes for people taking medication, particularly older Canadians. Approximately 5% of all emergency room visits and 6% of all hospital stays are the result of adverse drug reactions, which end up costing at least $7 billion to the health care system and 125,000 unnecessary deaths each year. A new poll of CARP members found one-third of older Canadians are taking an average of four to five prescription medicines. And older Canadians are five times more likely than younger people to be hospitalized due to adverse drug reactions. Susan Eng is the Vice President of Advocacy for CARP. She will be at this week's meeting in Charlottetown and joins me on the line. Susan, tell us more about this plan to empower Canada's pharmacists.
3: Well, it's absolutely a great idea. Our members support it in large part because they have the most contact with their pharmacists now when they're dealing with drug interactions. They are worried about that kind of thing, and they're getting some very good and detailed uh, support from their pharmacists as to how they should take their drugs, when they should take it, what drug interactions, most importantly, are taking place. So they have been very supportive of an expanded role from pharmacists.
1: I understand from a survey by CARP and the Shoppers Drug Mart that patients' misunderstanding of their medications can uh, represent as much as 5% of all emergency room visits and an annual cost of 7.9 billion dollars to the healthcare system that's staggering
3: not only is the number staggering of dollars um, the the impact on the patients themselves is even more staggering because quite often that leads to hospitalization and quite often a deterioration in their their health conditions mm-hmm. so uh, this is a major issue for us and uh, you know with advanced drugs now, really difficult for patients themselves to understand what they should be doing with them. They're very powerful drugs on the market now, and it is very important to have good advice.
1: And medication reviews are more important for older Canadians in general, since they tend to be the ones who take multiple medications,
3: right? Yeah, the key problem here is interactions between different kinds of drugs, and particularly if different specialists have, uh, you know, uh, prescribed different drugs, the, the patient is Left with a multiplicity of drugs that may or may not work well with each other, causing uh, sometimes uh, you know ER emissions. So it's really a, a serious concern for uh, people who have more than one medication.
1: How would medication or pharmacist-led medication reviews take place as you see moving forward?
3: You know, a lot of the newer pharmacists, the younger pharmacists, the recent graduates, actually spend a lot more time than a couple of minutes with you, even at the counter now. But uh, what a medicine review is meant for is to sit down and go through all of your medications and how you're taking them and whether or not you should be taking them, you know, in combination with others and so on. Not only to see whether or not medications are interacting with each other, but there have been instances where a person has two different medications for the same condition which means that they're doubling the appropriate dosage, and this can be very dangerous.
1: Now, ensuring that that happens is is another matter. Would the doctor be involved in ordering this pharmacist-led medication review, or would it uh, be on the part of the patient to make sure they're getting this service that they're entitled to have?
3: I think, that I think the intention of the pharmacist is that they initiate it with the patient as their direct contact. Um, I suspect the doctors would have something to say about that. Uh, CARP would really want the two professions to work in cooperation with each other and not be set up against each other.
1: Mm-hmm. How costly are these reviews, or would they be if everybody was taking advantage of them?
3: Well, the, the intention here, of course, is that the pharmacists get paid to spend the time with the patients. And that, of course, is going, they're looking to the province to pay for that time. And that could get very costly if everybody is doing it. However, the argument remains that it could and would prevent dangerous drug interactions and better care for the patients. And so saving not only uh, cost in the long run, but also, frankly, their lives.
1: Regardless of what happens uh, at the meeting in- Charlottetown this coming week and, and how we move forward. Many Canadians are already able to take advantage of medication reviews and don't realize it. Tell us about that.
3: Well, that's true. I mean, you don't know uh, if something is not offered to you and if uh, the pharmacy is not making time and resources available to offer it in any event, you may not think, to ask for it. Um, but as we talk about this much more and, and talk to people about the need for this kind of uh, medication review, it's more likely that patients will in fact ask their pharmacists about it. It's also very important that the pharmacies and the pharmacists actually demonstrate that they are fully capable of going through an exhaustive review like this. And so there's going to be some pre-certification involved as well, I'm sure.
1: Thank you very much for your time, Susan. Great concept.
3: Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Susan Eng is the Vice President of Advocacy for CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. She'll be attending this week's meeting of Canada's premiers in Charlottetown. This is the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown, in for Libby's Nimer. In just a moment, we'll revisit one of the biggest hits of the summer of 1964 on its 50th anniversary. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Libby Nimer is off this week. I'm Jane Brown. It's time for your International Arts date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Scott Walker.
4: In New York City, James Earl Jones stars in a revival of the 1936 play, You Can't Take It With You. The double Tony winner plays the role of the eccentric grandfather in the classic comedy by Moss Hart and George S. Kaufman. You Can't Take It With You is in previews at the Longacre Theatre on 48th Street. In Chicago, 20th century Belgian artist René Magritte was known for making the familiar unfamiliar. In this first major exhibition of his work, more than 100 paintings, collages, and other art are on display at the Art Institute of Chicago. To London, where the semi-biographical play Epstein, the man who made the Beatles, is at Leicester Square Theatre. It's the story of the Beatles' famous manager, Brian Epstein, who died of a drug overdose at the age of 32. And in Vienna, the Sigmund Freud Museum dedicates an exhibition to the travels of the world-famous psychoanalyst to mark the 75th anniversary of his death. That's your Art State Book. I'm Scott Walker.
1: Before we leave you today, we'll travel back 50 years to the summer of 1964 and hear the first number one hit from Motown Records' premier act, The Supremes. The song was originally written with another Motown group in mind, The Marvelettes, but they rejected the song. In fact, The Supremes weren't too keen to record it either. They had to be coerced into recording it by the producers. There was also debate over which members should sing the song. It was written for Mary Wilson's vocal register, but Motown founder Barry Gordy had just recently designated Diana Ross as the official lead singer of the Supremes. And since Gordy was the boss, Ross ended up singing it, and it firmly established her as the leader of the group. Here it is, the Supreme's number one hit song reaching the top of the charts in August of 1964. Where
2: did our love go?
1: That was The Supremes with Where Did Our Love Go? It was the group's first number one hit and the top song on the Billboard chart on this day in 1964. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining us today. Come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive Producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.